On our show, we've explored a wide range of treatments, methodologies, and techniques for managing mental health challenges, as well as how to teach and parent students who suffer from anxiety. Parents today are facing unique challenges that require well-rounded solutions, teamwork, and dedication. Although it may seem like a mountain sometimes, the most complex problems require the simplest solutions. The benefits of meditation and developing a personalized mindfulness practice are things that I personally am a strong advocate for. I encourage my students and their caregivers to build their own practices to cope with things like stress and anxiety, and to develop a greater presence and deeper understanding of their personal values. To develop a better relationship with the world around us, we first need to look inwards and develop a strong relationship to self. Welcome to Graduating Anxiety, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the academic challenges that students struggling with anxiety face. I'm your host, Alex Merrill. On this week's episode, I'm excited to welcome Amy Syed. Amy is a parent, a public speaker, a life coach, and a founder of the Quantum Genius Program a 12-week journey she developed to help any human reach their full potential and unleash the genius within. She's also the host of Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories, a podcast dedicated to exploring the resilience of survivors and how they overcame challenges to build thriving lives. Amy has a long history working in both physical and mental health care fields and is a champion for the benefits of mindfulness and meditation. Amy, welcome to the show. Amy, thank you very much for your uh, time today. You're welcome, Alex. You can be sort of defined, I'd say, as a, a many different things. Uh, you know, you're a parent, you're a survivor, founder, a speaker, a coach. Uh, tell me in your own words, uh, how do you define yourself? So uh, I wanted to thank you for having me on the podcast today. Uh, I usually define myself as a humanist first. Uh, a lot of people like to look at, you know, how do you label yourself? Because that's how the human mind thinks, right? We need to have these labels out there. I think in the context of what we're going to talk about today, it's important to point out, I did work in mental health and I was trained at CAMH in Toronto originally when I came out of university as a young student. And I've kind of grown um, in uh, grown up professionally in the mental health world. And that's how I kind of fell into understanding of mindfulness, meditation and practices that create uh, new neural pathways in your brain to give you the ability to deal with anxiety and stress and all the wonderful things we're feeling right now because of this global pandemic. Mm. I, I have fallen into the space of being a coach, so I coach adults. Um, I'm a mom of five kids. We're a blended family, and so uh, I've bless got... bless you. My goodness. Yeah, <laughs> five. I've Oof. got... Uh, my little one's four, and I have got twins that are 12. I've got a son wow. that's uh, 15, and I've got a daughter that's 17 oh, and wow. so I've got like a whole age range right of, of children to talk about today with you nice. um, one's going to university next year and one's just in JK oh, wow. you know wow. um, so you mentioned mindfulness what does that what does that term mean to you exactly 
So when I talk about mindfulness, I really like to emphasize that it's your own mind that you're focusing on, right? Or your own self that you're focusing on. And I find it to be an effective practice for people to turn inwards. When you look at mindfulness in the general media, people often uh, confuse it with, you know, meditation. But for me, mindfulness is really in the moments of the day where you can actually shut off what's happening in your life, you know? I'm just curious, how do you sort of make time for yourself? I mean, what is, you know, what are your approaches for doing that? Because I feel like that's a real challenge, particularly in the pandemic. Yeah. So, so firstly, what I think is important is communication, right? Communication with the children and communication with your partner, if you have one, or communication with family members who are supporting you, right? Because if we're not telling people that we need even just the five minutes, because we're feeling like we can take on the world and we don't have the choice to do that, that's kind of where the, the challenge starts. Now, I was a single mom for a long time with twins, right? My twins were three when I started my separation process. And And I was alone for a lot of that time because their father was not participating. So what I found was helpful at that time was literally sometimes yeah, put on the TV or put on a song that they like, or take that five minutes and tell them, you know what, mommy just needs to sit for a few minutes and have a tea. You guys go play over there, right? It Mm. gives you the opportunity to not only reinstate your boundaries with your children when they understand, but also make that space for yourself. And when I was working in mental health, and I started working, uh, particularly in the disability management area, I worked with a lot of men and women that were going through transitions. So they were off work because of depression or because of um, anxiety. And so something that I would always take to my sessions was like an adult coloring book. And I would introduce them to the idea of coloring. That's a thing. It's so effective. You can even take a kid's coloring book. I mean, at the end of the day, right? right? But they do have those things. And it's so effective. They loved it. There was not one adult that said, that was really uncomfortable. Like they all loved it. So there's lots of different ways you can even interact with your children and take that time for yourself. Tell me a little bit about your parenting style. I mean, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but how does mindfulness affect your parenting? So something that I do with my children is teach them the, the things that I knew as I was raising them. So particularly with my last child. So I can use that as an example because, you know, it's it's in the forefront of my mind. She's only four. I can remember a lot of the things I did with her. You can actually start with a newborn and teach a newborn how to breathe and calm down. So mm. what I would do with her when she was a newborn is I would put her skin to skin with me when she was feeling upset and I would soothe her simply by deep breathing. And what mm. happens is A child's parasympathetic system kicks in when they feel the same in another human. So she would actually start to mimic my breathing. And now at the age of four, when she does have a tantrum, because she does, I mean, all children do, they need to express themselves. If I bring her close to myself or I tell her, hey, Hannah, take a deep breath. She'll cry a little bit, but she'll try to take the deep breath and it'll automatically calm her down enough for her to start to listen to me. And so Mm. you can actually start at a very young age to teach them those concepts of breath and calming yourself, soothing yourself right after they're born. I wonder if that works for adult tantrums too. 
<laughs> I've tried. I don't know. You can talk to my husband. I think he gets annoyed when I try it with him. <laughs> right, right. It's harder to pick him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, uh, today, your children are experiencing more heightened feelings of anxiety and mental health challenges uh, than ever before. Um, mm. I can surely testify to that. What, what can we do is sort of collectively to help them cope um, with some of those issues? That's a great question. It starts with us. It starts with the adults, right? That's one thing that I keep telling people is that if we ourselves are not feeling okay, it's very hard for us to model that or to tell our children to be okay. Because at the end of the day, you know what? Kids are smarter than you know. They are also more resilient than you know, but they're also smarter than you know. So if we're not feeling good, they know right away and they know something's wrong. And that's really where it starts. So whether it means that you need the psychological support, so you know, even if you're not diagnosed with a mental health challenge, sometimes you need that psychological support with a therapist or psychologist or a social worker so that you can get in check with yourself, right? And then the second Mm. piece is then seeing your children in the moments that they live, right? So when you see your child is okay on the surface, but there may be something going on beneath the surface, ask them about it, talk to them about it. What we do in my house, because we have so many children, is that around uh, dinner time, I ensure that everybody's in the kitchen. And that's our time to talk about the day, talk about what's going on in the world, talk about, you know, different things. We do it through the medium of cooking dinner or the medium of preparing dinner because it's an activity and it gives them an opportunity to kind of like just be focusing on doing something else, a little bit of a distraction. So it doesn't seem like you're sitting them down and giving them an interrogation, especially like teenagers. They don't want to talk about anything with you, right? So, so it's a really great time for you, like touch base and see how things are going. What I realized early in the pandemic is that they were all struggling, right? It was like a collective grief that came over the globe, really. Mm. And the news was all bad news. You couldn't go on your phone without seeing the bad news. Nah. And so we proactively had, um, we have a child psychologist that works with all our children. And so we proactively had them all back in, in, in calls with her while she was also nah. supporting us, Smart. right? on parenting, giving us feedback about what the children are saying, right? Because your children don't always tell you what they're really feeling or thinking. They're also very protective, right? Another thing I want to talk about, Alex, is sometimes we don't have mental health services available, right, for your listeners. And so when we don't have resources or we don't have the financial means for resources, again, it starts with us. And creating that bond with our children, that's something you can do for free. Tell me about uh, Quantum, the Quantum Genius program. So the Quantum Genius program was born from my therapeutic work with adults. I wanted to create a product that, that I could present to an end user, no matter what walk of life they were, and take the philosophies of what I teach people through the therapeutic process. So Quantum Genius has actually evolved into a program called Master Your Genius. And what we do is we work with adults to really hone in on how do you start with you? 
right? And we teach modalities in this program like mindfulness, like meditation. We also work on breath work. We work on um, understanding scribing and understanding different modalities that you can use to express who you are on the inside and bring that out into your everyday life. And what I found through the practice of this program is that because we're so busy and because we're so institutionalized by the time you get to your adult life. So once you're in your 30s and 40s, you've kind of gone through this educational system or you're still going through it perhaps. You're uh, finding yourself in your career or finding yourself in your business or perhaps even launching a new business. But you're being given these silos, you know, that you kind of fit yourself in or you squeeze yourself into. My vision is to teach adults how to revisit their inner self and how to really make themselves stand out from others in their branding, whether it's in their career or their business. So the outcome has been remarkable for people who've been through the program because through what they understand as kind of slowing down their mind and slowing down their life, they've been able to revisit who they truly are and express that, whether it's in their business or it's in their career, and create their own personal brand out there. So it's been uh, it's been quite interesting, and it's been a really, really exciting journey to be on with these people. For me, mindfulness and meditation are mandatory in parenting. I, I work with a Headspace app, or I'll do other forms of meditation pretty much every day. I also get a bit of exercise in, just a bit of time on my own. You know, what Amy mentioned about communication with your spouse or fellow caregiver or with the kids themselves in particular is really the, the key to unlocking those times. Meditation is also something that we've introduced to our kids. And I think that's really important, particularly at bedtime. We've employed sort of relaxation programs and there, there are medication programs that are specifically sort of geared towards putting kids down at night. As a tutor and a teacher, I've been able to get kids to adopt the meditation practices in particular. I've kind of, I sell them a lot on things like Headspace, for instance. It's transformative. The amount of change that you can see in these kids from just adopting something small like that, that affects their mental health in such a profound way. You know, you can help kids so much at, um, at that age where they're really still discovering things that are very key to their personal development. On our show, we focus on students and children with anxiety. How do you approach situations where your children are suffering from anxiety? Number one, starting with yourself is really important, right? Because oh, you keep saying that, and uh, I keep thinking, no pressure, man. <laughs> you know what? I wish, we, it, I wish it was just about them. Yeah, I know. Well, we're the leaders in the house, right? Yeah, so we, we are we are the leaders. We are the models, and it does start with us. So it's it's kind of looking at your own challenges with anxiety and your own challenges, right? If you're yeah. dealing with a mental health challenge and what that looks like, and if you're getting treatment for it. To lean on the treatment providers to provide you with frameworks that you can use. Once you've kind of dealt with that piece, dealing with children is is a different uh, ball.
ball game, especially depending on what their age is, right? Because you want to speak to them at a level that they understand. And you also want to support them in a way that they are going to benefit from it. So what I've learned over the years is with younger children, play helps, right? So if you're going to mimic basically what they'd be learning in a play center or at school, play therapy, you can actually do at home. So it's sitting down with them and actually interacting with them in a meaningful way so that they can tell you what they're thinking or what they're feeling, right? Mm, yeah. When they're nonverbal, it is holding them close to you or spending time with them to see how that anxiety is manifesting. Sometimes anxiety comes out as rage. It comes out as, um, you know, arguments with siblings. Or spouses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. But like, but like for kids, it manifests as perhaps hitting. Like oh, some yeah. people will mm. be like, my, my son or daughter never hit anybody. And mm, they've never seen yeah. anybody hit right because they've been at home during the pandemic so why are they hitting now right so when you start to see those types of behaviors again it's spending some time with them being calm yourself when you're talking them through it which is mm. very hard to do sometimes yeah, it is. and then if you're in a region or a place where you can get the help you can start with your pediatrician right you can really start with you know what's covered by ohip here in ontario or in canada and get in touch with the pediatrician and tell them like there's been some behavioral change going on i'm concerned this is what it looks like should i be concerned right another thing i want to talk a little bit about is giving your children the ability to feel the stress right sometimes we feel that we want to take all their stress and all their problems away and think that that's going to benefit them but in actuality they also mm. need to learn coping strategies it's walking the fine line of allowing them to feel the stress and know what's mm. really happening in reality yeah. combined with supporting them through it right because if we don't give them the ability to feel the negative as well a little bit it takes away their ability to cope with it and it removes their ability to be resilient later on God. in life i hear you uh, that's that's just such a hard line to walk i'd say in practice i mean especially when you're sort of dealing with your own sort of psychological issues along the way too and balancing that and yeah. trying to stay calm and you know mm -hmm. doing all of those things but what are some of the core challenges your family has faced throughout uh, this covid 19 pandemic so I'd say in the beginning of the pandemic, the first, I'd say, three to four months were the hardest. We were in Jamaica when they called the pandemic. So my husband turned 50 and uh, as a present to him, we had gone to a resort in Jamaica. And I remember being at the airport. It was really, really empty because <laughs> this was about this is about the week before the pandemic was called. And the kids, too, were like, it's really quiet. And we went to check in our luggage uh, and the, the rep at the counter was like, oh, yeah, it's just like it's just the hour. It's just early in the morning. So there's not a lot of people here <laughs> trying to make us feel better. So anyways, we went to Jamaica and, you know, um, I'm glad we did because we had this amazing trip. And I think we learned a lot about the pandemic from being outside of Canada because in Jamaica, what happened was they had closed their borders down while we were there. So the kids really came back with an attitude of, you know, we're going to get through this. But it was scary. It was really, really scary. And because I'm a survivor of cancer, I have, you know, I, I'm kind of higher risk for COVID. So coming mm -hmm. back, um, mm -hmm. the experience at the airport was 
it was so scary, right? Because it was all mm. unknown at that time. We don't know if you can touch something and get it. This is back in the day when we were sanitizing everything. So I was mm. like sanitizing mm. their seats in the airplane, sanitizing the luggage that they were touching. Like it was so scary. So I'd say in the beginning of the pandemic, it was it was really, really tough, right? Taking them out of school, ha- everyone sitting at home. Mm. We're figuring out online and everything like that. But what I found was helpful at that time, again, was the time that we spent together. Some days where things were too hard, I just said, forget it. I'm not even going to work today. Today, no one's going to have to go to school. We're just going to spend time together. You know, we're just going to mm. watch a movie mm-hmm. and spend time together. Because totally. when your children are crying for help, that's the time when you've got to step in and let them. As my wife says, there's no snow days in homeschool. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's like no calling in sick when you're working from home too, right? You exactly. just kind of go with the flow. And because it was glo- being, it was happening globally, I think it also allowed people to slow down if they needed to, right? My whole philosophy through this pandemic has been that if there was a time for enlightenment in our generation, the one previous to us and the next one, this is the time, right? This is the time to reevaluate what are we doing as a society or as a community Mm -hmm. or as a culture of people. I just reiterated that in my home too, right? Like what are you guys doing so that when we come out of this, we come out of this stronger? It's it's interesting at the beginning of this, you sort of positioned family time as almost the, the, the balm or the panacea, the cure. Yeah, I think maybe that's true. I mean, it's it, that certainly does feel like the best medicine, I guess, at this point for that. I think it's really healing for us too as adults, right? I've been so busy, and although I value my family time, I'm always home for dinner and that sort of thing. I really realized in this last year that that wasn't enough, and this mm, time yeah. at home has been so enriching for me. It's opened my eyes to how much time you could actually spend with your family, <laughs> like what, what that would look like without, you know, the sort of the grind of the everyday existence where everyone's kind Absolutely. of going off on their own. Um, yeah. it, it's different. If you have one, what is your philosophy or core principle as it relates to parenting? My philosophy on parenting and family comes from a poem that I read by Khalil Gibran. It's in The Prophet. You know, my philosophy has always been that you don't, you give birth to your children, you bring them into this world, but you don't own them. So it's kind of like they're your children, but but they're not your children. So um, the poem starts, your children are not your children. They are your sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. And I feel so strongly about this. Um, And you know, you talk about positive parenting. I saw Dr. Shafali um, speak in Toronto a few years ago. And when she opened her presentation, she asked the audience, why did you have your children or your child? And everyone's answers varied from I wanted a deeper meaning to my life. You know, I wanted to see the Mm. reflection of myself in somebody else. Mm. And all of the Mm -hmm. answers, she listened to them and she said, you know, they're all selfish answers. 
You had your children for yourself, right? And it's not to demonize or vilify people because we will be doing it for the rest of our generations in order for us to populate this world. But <laughs> but my philosophy has always been that they're kind of are us to borrow, right? We bring them into this world and they are their own people. They're their own soul. If you believe in a soul, they're, they have their own thought processes. They have their own personality. And the best thing that we can do as parents is enrich it by guiding them through it, but to let them go when the time is right. And so what I see in my children, Absolutely. especially the teenagers, is I tell them, I'm like, you need to fly. It's scary, right? Because, you know, you say you say that to your children and then you kind of step away and you're like, I really don't want her to go, but I know she has to. And it hurts you mm. as a person. But at the end of the day, that's really what my philosophy is as a parent or, you know, in a family is to let them be let them be free and be who they need to be. What's your, what are your thoughts on the education system, particularly in North America? You know, do you think it can induce or enhance anxiety amongst our children? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like there's a combination of things there, right? It's such a charged question. What's making our kids anxious these days, right? Anxiety has always been around, right? Even in our generation, like anxiety has been part of who we are. The expression and the diagnosis of anxiety has evolved, right? You've got to look at the holistic viewpoint of what you're exposing your child to or what your child's being exposed to. The education system itself, I think in North America, they're doing their best. I've had really good experiences with it. I've had really amazing teachers. I work closely with my children's teachers. So I make it an effort to get to know them. I make an effort to check in with them to see if they're supported. And so I've had generally a really positive experience with the educational system. The anxiety comes in with the experiences that my children have. So with other children, with social media, with what they're exposed to at the end of the day. So I have to sometimes get involved and put brakes on things, right? All my kids have phones. All my kids have access to YouTube. All of them follow YouTubers and they all have these things that they enjoy to do, right? And at first I was really hesitant and I introduced it really late, especially with my older kids, because I said, mm -hmm. I don't want them on social media and I don't want them you know, involved in all of this. And although they don't have social media yeah. accounts because they're still not allowed to have them, I monitor what they're watching and I monitor how they're feeling about it and what questions they have about it. And I'm involved as much as I can be to help alleviate some of that anxiety. But I have noticed that anxiety is high. The standards of what we thought was beauty or what we thought was the standard for intelligence is different now because they're seeing it through this global viewpoint of yeah. what's popular and popular culture it causes anxiety there's a disparity right between reality and what you're seeing out there so i think it's like it's a holistic viewpoint it's not only the educational system what stood out to me i guess in my conversation with amy is how much she harped on how we have to take care of ourselves before we can be any sort of effective parent whatsoever. That was something that I kind of like knew, but was like trying to ignore. It's easier to look at a kid's behavior and, and be like, well, let's also this and this, and maybe if I listen a little bit better, and you know, if I can validate their feelings, and like that all sounds to me a whole lot easier than, okay, let's go dig back in the closet, pull out all the skeletons, and you know, make sure we have our own house in order. That sounds very difficult to me. But the fact that she harped on that so much uh, stood out as a, 
this really isn't something that I can ignore. You know, I think that's going to make me sort of reevaluate my approach to my own sort of sanity and what influence that has on my parenting. What do you think some of the core challenges are facing modern parents, I guess, particularly in the um, pandemic era? I'd say one of the core challenges from the conversations I've had with other parents is what to do through this transition between where we are today and what coming out of this is going to look like. Yes, we've been in lockdowns and some of us are still in lockdowns and, you know, our kids are at home with us and, you know, we've gotten into this phase of, I guess, like this incubator phase, you could say, where everyone's kind of safe and at home, right? But how are we going to mm. reintroduce mm. them back into society so they feel safe, right? And this isn't just safety from the virus, it's psychological safety, right? A lot of people are having trouble with that because children are saying, no, I don't want to go to school. I'm scared. Or do I need to wash my hands again? Or do I use sanitizer? Do I wash my hands? You know, and so this is a product, right? It's a product of what we've been through for a year now. That's a great way to start is how do you integrate them out there safely again so they can start seeing people and seeing faces and, you know, how babies can start seeing other babies again. And again, I'll always say this. Children are resilient and children can bounce back quickly, but we have to help them do it, right? And the way totally. that you can help them do it is what we call in adults is like exposure therapy, but taking kids out and reintroducing them to the world. The twins that are 12 were mortified after the pandemic hit and would not leave the house. And I mm -hmm. actually started to, because the only thing that we had open here during lockdown was Walmart. So I would take them to Walmart with me and make them walk around the store with me around other people to start, right? To get them back into not feeling afraid anymore. Yeah. Right. If there was one thing that you could say, that you'd want to say to sort of parents who would be helping with struggling children or leading their children out of the pandemic, what would that be? I think the one takeaway that uh, I'd want to give to parents would really be do what's right for you and your family. We love to Google things and we love to, you know, read about what the experts are saying or what they're saying in the news, but really revisit what's right for you and what's right for your family right now, right? It's okay to be different. It's okay to slow it down and it's okay to do it faster, but you've got to really be in touch with, you know, what's working for you and what's going to help them. After my conversation with Amy, here are my key takeaways. What she brought up basically was that there's no wrong way to practice mindfulness, whatever it is that makes sense to you, whether that's hiking, whether that's gardening, whether that's painting, whatever it is, that is just as good as like the most advanced meditation practice. The other takeaway I had was you know, how we have to sort of adjust our practices because of the altered world of COVID and to alter our sort of expectations for how to run a family. You know, the example that we brought up really was there are no snow days in homeschool, but there are mental health days. You know, there was a girl that I taught at Kingswood Oxford who would miss like basically every third day of school. She was an outstanding student though, always happy, always very positive, chipper. You know, if I hassled her about it, it was like, it didn't break through her surface at all. She was just like, 
yeah, you know, I just take some time off sometimes. I mean, she had straight A's in the class and she did fantastic, ended up going to a good school, all of that. She was really balanced because she took time off sometimes. Yeah, I think that's probably important to keep in mind right now in particular. Uh, going with the flow, I think is important. And I think that really the number one theme in our, in our whole conversation really was, and I'd say probably a theme throughout this podcast is that we have to sort of take care of ourselves first for a number of reasons. The one that we've sort of focused on too in this podcast in particular was that kids don't miss anything. <laughs> they are just always watching even though it seems like they're they're sort of unaware, they're on their own sort of imaginative worlds, they get it all. They feel it, they hear it, whether or not they can admit it or be able to verbalize it, maybe not, but they don't miss a thing. You know, it makes it all that much more important for you to be sort of on your best game as much as possible. I mean, it's and it's not possibly perfect. You're gonna have eruptions, you're gonna lose your temper, like that's just part of parenting but being able to own that and be mature about that, reflect on that, that becomes, I think, very important at the end of the day. And you can't ignore it. If you do, it's at, you know, at the peril of your own parenting. Thanks for listening to Graduating Anxiety, the podcast that helps caregivers of anxious learners overcome obstacles to find academic success and build continuously happy lives. If you liked this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Merrill. See you soon.